Brandon Belt. He's smashed to right field. Instead, he's going to swing away and hit it to right center field. And gone! McKenna racing back. It's gone! First pitch long ball. Brandon Belt. The Blue Jays are up 5-3. to three. On the first pitch he sees, Brandon Belt has given the Blue Jays a 5-3 to three lead. Shulman times two on that Little one. talent in that family. Holy, we don't deserve to grace the airways after that father-son duo. That Pretty awesome. impressive, yeah. Yeah, that was a... little super cut from our guy Mike Gentili back there. That was good. DJ action. I got his turntable out behind the scenes there. <laughs> he was doing a little mixtape. Yeah. Is that what they're doing behind those yeah. turntables? You can't see much, but like I went to broadcast school and they had like, you know, the room with all the buttons and I just avoided going in there. But they could have been doing this, mixing the father-son home run calls together. Uh, that's maybe what uh, that's what you would have learned, I guess, in, <laughs> yeah, in that I should room have went in there. if you ventured in there once or twice. Uh, but what a oh, what a game of baseball last night that was. I mean, we waited an extra day, a nice off day. We teed it up. We talked about how this was going to be the most important series the Blue Jays have played yet until the next most important series against the team that's had their number, the team that's leading the way, the team that often makes us envious of the things that they've found success on, and the Blue Jays won a tight playoff Ask game and it was it was a thrilling game to watch and that home run call uh, says it all. Uh, yeah, it certainly did. That was a lot of fun last night, right? This is this is when it is fun. It is certainly uh, better that the result went the Toronto Blue Jays' way, of course. But <laughs> when you have those moments, when you have those late innings in games like that one, and you have a moment like Brandon Belt provided, I mean, it's just it's exhilaration. It is it is baseball at its best. Of course, I mean, I guess October's when it's at its mm. truly best, but that felt like it. You said ask. I don't even know if it's ask. It's closer than ask, I think. Uh it felt like playoff baseball. You can you can consider it playoff baseball to me because these games mean just as much right now for the Blue Jays. It is Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfar, of course. On it is fan drive, fan time. drive time. Uh filling in for Ben Ennis for the rest of this week as well. Uh we were just in awe of the Shulmans. So stick with us as we I mean we should have got CC. Mr. Chris Cuthbert to, you know, call us in somehow, maybe after break. You, you need the second, though. Yeah, like, and that's, so pick that's it up, just, buddy. Uh, there's, no, there's nothing there. <laughs> um, yes, last night, you know, when you say playoff baseball, that's the type of games that you're going to see more and more throughout the season. And, yeah, of course, uh, having the Blue Jays win that one in extra innings in the way that they did was electric. But, I mean, it comes at the added importance of that bullpen and we talked about it a lot and everybody has been trying to put context to how good this bullpen is is it the best ever is it the best in the league is it the best in the AL East but the way they rolled those guys out last night and it was monster after monster after monster shutting down the Orioles when it really really mattered I mean you look at that bullpen and how can you not think that's a bullpen that can get you to a World Series there it was it was immaculate really yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you laid it up perfectly there. I mean, it's it's the situation in that it was such an important game. It is a opponent where you want to put your best effort forward or fr- uh, best foot forward, but it's also coming on the heels of an off day where you can completely reset and throw your best at an elite opponent, which the Baltimore Orioles are. Uh, are. And that's mm-hmm. like that's why it felt like playoff baseball even beyond the stakes and the importance of the game is that you saw what the plan would be, right? In a big game, what Sean Schneider's going to do in must-win scenarios, in must-win, was pretty close last night. So we see how they're going to handle, 
you know, Kikuchi getting into the fifth inning mm-hmm. and maybe falling up, not falling apart, but showing some cracks in his start. And immediately the quick hook, immediately you go from this reliever to that reliever all the way through and you have the desired result. That's what it is going to potentially look like in big games down the stretch. If they're in a wild card series, that's mm-hmm. what the plan will be probably from John Schneider because he had all of his horses, with the exception, I guess, of Chad Green, uh, at his disposal. So Chad that's kind of what it's going to look like. Chad Green. He remains elusive. The day that he puts on a Blue Jays jersey, we might have to head down there and just make sure he's a real guy. In uh, real we life. may just have to do that. Just keep Tyler Heineman away from him. Um, okay, so let's talk about the Kikuchi game uh not as long as not as best out of the last six appearances he was leading the mlb in the lowest era since the all-star break um but a kikuchi that i still see a lot of internal confidence in and that's the biggest thing that's a change from last year last year if he got in a situation like this it was crumble well last year at this point he was in the bullpen anyway but last year he had crumbled he had crumbled and there was not an ounce of confidence from kikuchi from the team from the fan base when he got out there He's gotten behind in counts. He's faced, you know, uh, a, a run and then had to get back up on the mound. And he has still had a level of confidence that inspires me. Yeah, last night wasn't his best stuff. And I think John Schneider made the right decision. Well, obviously, because it ages well. But even if it didn't, I think that was time to remove Kikuchi. It feels short. And, and I think when you see Kikuchi look frustrated, I don't think that time was frustrated with John Schneider. I think it was frustrated with his performance a little bit. He still did everything he needed to do to give this team a chance to win. Um, but the fact that it was a fully rested bullpen, as you say, the first game of a series, you were able to leverage all those arms that you've now stacked up in a scary order in your bullpen and you find a way to win a game. So Kikuchi's still my number two guy right now. Yesterday wasn't his most prolific performance, but the decision and and. Schneider made a couple really good managerial decisions last night. That was one of them, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a more realistic look at what you're going to see if if you choose Kikuchi in mm-hmm. a wild card series, right? Like, I, I, like may, maybe he has a lights out uh, uh, outing. Maybe he keeps, you know, adding to an ERA or have uh, the sort of outing that keeps his ERA dwindling in the way that they have. But I think that's kind of what you're more or less going to expect. I mean, we're not talking about lesser teams. We're talking about the Baltimore Orioles mm-hmm. who have beat up on pitching. All year long. Uh, it's not like you say Kikuchi has reached a level where he's a completely unflappable, untouchable, whatever. I mean, just because he had more to give doesn't mean you should want to see the end it's of the a line, fine line, right? It's like, a fine line. You're, you, are, you are picking the right time, I think, if you're John Schneider. And yeah, like, I guess some of it was, and some of the pushback was, well, they're kind of dinking and dunking him a little bit. But maybe they were just seeing pitches that, you know, weren't center cut and ready yeah. to be mashed out of the ballpark, but they were still on pitches that were you where you look at it and be like, oh, they got kind of lucky there. But maybe they were just seeing them well. Maybe they were maybe you say Kikuchi was done fooling guys by that by that time. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll never know. But I don't think you can quibble with that decision yeah. at all. Because you had the horses, you had what you you had lined up, you had the off day, you were ready to send your bullpen, which is the elite of the elite, out there to try and outlast their bullpen, which is exactly what happened. You used your you had the horses, you used them. And I love that Kikuchi was still a little frustrated. I love that he thinks he has more to give. I like that was still a quality start, but he did give up seven hits, a walk, three runs by mm-hmm. that time, 82 pitches. I mean, he failed to get out of the fifth, and that, and that's okay because he gave you a pretty good start, and he handed it over to a bullpen that, at least last night, was flat out better than Baltimore's. And that's all that matters. You got them to the point where the Blue Jays had their strength out there, which, again, is the bullpen, and that was the difference in the game. I, I don't think 
you should be disappointed in Kikuchi's start. Maybe Kikuchi himself will be a little bit disappointed with how it went. Because that's a, he's a different guy this year. He's a fighter and he wants to get out there and perform. Yeah, and, and that's, that's, that's fine. That's what you want. Um, the best thing that Kikuchi did was strike out Ryan Mountcastle, the most incredible baseball player to ever face the Blue Jays. Yeah. Three times and walked him, I believe, once as well. Or that was his end stat line. But he didn't give that guy nothing, even though everybody pulled out their betting apps, including myself, before the game. It was like, oh, Ryan Mountcastle, was, yeah, he's going to destroy this team. Yeah, Kikuchi definitely had something for him. So Mountcastle is a bust against Kikuchi. Let's, let's get through the series before we label him a bust. <laughs> against Kikuchi was At least the against Kikuchi, yeah. That's, that is definitely I'm sure important. tonight there could be, uh, there could be fireworks, well, but... Well, uh, I was just going to say, circle back to the bullpen. I mean, I think la- this is important because last week we were having the debate of quality versus quantity and, mm-hmm. like, what was most important. And I was thinking to myself all week, like, yeah, the Blue Jays have a really good bullpen. And, yeah, it runs, you know, seven, eight deep, and it's and it's really good, and you're going to trust pretty much everyone you throw out there. But what matters most? Does it matter most that you have Cano and Bautista, or does it matter most that you have more than just two mm-hmm. or three really good arms that you trust? And last night it was the contrary, right? Last night was proof that maybe quantity is more important than quality because the difference in the game for the Blue Jays was outlasting their bullpen. I mean, once Bauman got out there and he was throwing those meatballs and everyone was on them immediately, (laughs) I loved their approach in the 10th inning. They were just swinging swinging at everything. Uh, But Brandon Bell hits the first one out and it's like, oh, that's what it's going to be like, so let's go out there and hack. But once you – I have no confidence still that they're going to get to guys like Mm -hmm. Cano and Bautista. But if you can get through those because your guys who match up against Cano and Bautista uh, Bautista are just as good, then the strength should be in favor of the Blue Jays who have the quantity. And we saw that they were able to save Romano for the save situation instead of using him in the eighth or ninth inning. And the Blue Jays, once you got to the depths of the bullpen, therein lies the advantage for Toronto. I don't know how repeatable that is, but against the Orioles, they have quantity. That beats the quality, at least on one night, for the Orioles. I mean, that is a big difference between these two teams. I mean, we saw the stats, right? I mean, they do pretty much everything the same except hit with runners in scoring mm-hmm. position. There is a difference in the bullpen. The Blue Jays have more. They have more at the tail end. They might not have the quality of Bautista, but they certainly have more arms that are capable of giving you scoreless innings, and that's the reason why they won the game last night. I mean, they put on like a clinic. Like, when you watch the way the Blue Jays handled the Orioles in the final innings of that game, you can't want really anything more. Even when you got in a little bit of a jam, you found a way through. And Jordan Romano continues to be as steady as ever since returning from injury specifically. You just have so many options. And I think... I when we talked about this last week and you brought up the question of is it quality or is it quantity I think I was more on the quantity side because I was like oh what's the, the more the merrier the only thing you can think of is there's too maybe there's just too many plug and play options and that can get you know maybe a, a little bit too galaxy brain but the sure. way they've rolled it out and tonight's a different one though tonight it's interesting because they changed who they're going to have as their starting pitcher, and I, I don't know if the Orioles. That being the Orioles, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if the Orioles thought, okay, like let's let's not start this Jack Flaherty guy and let's pull him from where he was supposed to start tonight. He was pounded for seven runs, three hits, and four walks in three innings at his last uh, appearance against the Padres, and they're putting in Dean Kramer instead. Not really sure why. We'll talk to uh, BNS at three thirty. Maybe he knows like an injury wise, but 
Like maybe the Orioles are like, hey, we got to win this one. Like we're not going down to lose this series right away. It's, it's an yeah. interesting thing. No, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't think that would be the decision. Maybe there's some sort of scratch, some ailment, illness. I'm not really sure why Flaherty wouldn't be that guy. I think they'd want Flaherty, to be honest, in the situation where it's him versus Toronto's mm-hmm. ace, Kevin Gosman, going tonight. Uh, but I think it like really puts the balance or tilts the yeah. or tilts the scales in the favor of the Blue Jays. I mean, Dean Kramer was not prepared until what a couple hours ago, ten hours ago, yeah, maybe a, at best to pitch today. So I mean that that in itself, I mean you throw people off routine. That's important. And Kevin Gosman out there in mm-hmm. what you can win the series tonight with Kevin Gosman against a guy who thought he was pitching a day later. I mean that is definitely an advantageous position for the Blue Jays to be in. And if Flaherty is dealing with something, be it illness, injury, whatever. And he has to go the extra day, what might help you, but also you're thrown off ribbon rhythm, or you might not be hundred percent right now. The pitching is definitely shaping up to be in favor of Toronto over the balance of this series, mm-hmm. which is a really, really positive thing. Like it might be fine. Baltimore might pitch the hell out of the baseball today. Who knows? Uh, and they might for the rest of the series, but it's not ideal to be making last minute pitching decisions, definitely not. even if it's born out of, Hey, some sort of strategy that doesn't really make much sense to me. We'll find out more uh, when we talk to BNS at 3.30. We also got Adnan Verk on at 4 o'clock. And then wrap up our show, we got Pinball Clemens on. A uh, little Argos chat, a little, T, uh, little CNE. If you're headed down to the game this weekend. They'll double dip down there. A little double dip on Friday night. We'll chat about that with Pinball at 4.30. Um, but there was a couple other moments in this game. So we talk a lot about pitching. Kikuchi did what he needed um, to help this team get to where they eventually did. The bullpen obviously was the main conversation, but... Bo Bichette had an incredible defensive play that was that really, really stunning. Like it was, everyone on the field was also like, wow, did you see that? <laughs> yeah. And almost Bo yeah. was kind of surprised at his own, um, at his own save there. But that leading into obviously Brandon Bell getting his home run that at his first pitch that he saw, as we heard from the Shulmans. And I just love Brandon Belt's demeanor. It's a home run and just struts the bases like he's done it before. He's a veteran guy. And it just seemed like a level of seriousness between Bo, who Bo gets this incredible defensive play. And it's just, it feels routine, even though it's not like that. You don't see a play like that much. Boom, out. Let's end this inning. Let's get back up there. Let's take a first pitch home run out of this park. And it just like they turned they turned the Jets on. And I think when you look at your way that you're being set up for success with that bullpen, Maybe there's just a level of confidence that you get when you go to do your business and you're the one that needs to, to to either get a defensive save or hit a home run out of the ballpark. Like they just seem to change their mentality a little bit when the game was going on and they had it in their grasp. Uh, I think unchanged mentality, not to contradict anything you're saying, is pretty important for Brendan Belt. Mm. Like, I, Before, I, I, he's always like that. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the yeah. point. Like, it's it's like it, he's a pro. Uh, undoubtedly, he has the respect of the guys uh, in that room. And I don't know how well it started. I don't know if he lost any of that respect. I, obviously, he had a difficult start to the year, but he's recovered that in spades. I mean, he's been unbelievable. Mm-hmm this month for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, he's racked up one war just in this month alone. Uh, six home runs, 10 RBIs, 15 runs, and 68 plate appearances. That's like, he's <laughs> been unbelievable this month. And uh, and I think that's, uh, not, that's not something that, like, I don't know if it spreads. I don't know if it's something, a guy that people are looking towards, but it's certainly sort of the standard in terms of, like, hey, this is what it's got to be this time of year. This is a guy who's won two World Series with the San Francisco mm-hmm. Giants. There is a reason to look to Brandon Bell to being like, hey, 
there, there's something there, and I should pay attention to what he's doing. And, yeah, we were talking about the adults in the room yesterday being Bo Bichette and how he speaks up and uh, arrives, and they immediately start winning games, and he makes that play. Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm doing, like, the leadership core, am I not starting? Are we not starting with Bo Bichette and Brandon Belt right now in terms of the guys that Mm -hmm. are kind of leading or we want to see at least lead this late season charge or this stretch of baseball where you pretty much have to be playing at or close to your high end of your performance range. Like Chapman's in that conversation as well. And we want Vladdy to be in that conversation. But right now the guys who seem to be leading are Bo and Brandon Belt. And Brandon Belt's been so, so good, of, as I mentioned this month, really for the most part of this entire season. You'd love if Brandon Belt was, you know, doing that from, I guess, the seven hole. Like maybe that's the perfect lineup where he's a little bit in a lesser spot or a spot where there's less pressure on him to be great. But he has been great, and he belongs in the three-hole as long as he's performing even close to what he's been at for the last little bit here. He's been so important to this team. And, yeah, he set the tone for the 10th inning, clearly hitting the first pitch out of the yard. But then everybody else goes up and starts hacking away at the first pitch, too. And they made a lot of noise before that 10th inning ended, scoring another run, of course, with Vladdy getting a double right after. So, yeah, I mean, I do think there's there's reason to sort of jump on the back of Brandon Bell. Mm-hmm. He's done it before, and he's doing it right now for this team. Like, this team isn't a young team anymore. We used to talk about how they were really, really young. But they're young in terms of big game performances, right? They haven't made it past any level of standard that we had wanted for this team, right? And who has Brandon Belt? And you say it like his pedigree speaks volumes. And yeah, he's a veteran in itself, but there's veteran in terms of how many games you've played and how many times you've played in big time games that mean something. And when I was listening to him post game on the field, talking to us at Sportsnet, he's like, just got this level of dialed in. He He's dialed in and He's unfazed, but very serious in his tone. And I know that some people have joked around, or not even joked, have, have pointed at this team isn't having fun anymore. Well, there's you can have fun when you're winning games and you're doing it with like a serious professionalism, and he's got both. Like, he's he's funny, too. Like when you yeah, see, He struck that balance, When you sure. see him come off the field and the Blue Jays social media is like, everyone's saying you're the MVP, and he's like, I am. Like, he, he knows how to be a professional, but also tiptoe into the fun. And I just wanted to read a quote. I was looking forward here. Um, of what he said on the field, but quote, when you get to this time of year and you're on the cusp of being in the playoffs, you've got to have urgency. You can't put pressure on yourself because that can make you do things you don't normally do, but you've got to have a sense of urgency to get out there and win ball games now. And I feel like we're sitting here, we're scoreboard watching, we're thinking about all these external things that can happen. Oh, this team won again last night. The Blue Jays didn't make any ground. Like when you get up to the plate, you have urgency, but you're not thinking this at bat is going to change the projection of this entire season. And he did that first pitch. He just like, okay, this is the ball I want. And mm. I out of the ballpark. So I think someone like that is really underrated, but you're seeing it right now when games are meaning way more in the season, the Brandon belt has come kind of to in his own to say that eh, I'll be a leader on this team. No problem. Yeah. And what a moment. Uh, Cause like last night, I don't know how you felt, but it felt like to me, it was always slowly slipping away. Like I, I was losing confidence, even despite them getting through uh, Cano and Bautista without, you know, giving up the lead. Their bullpen was holding up and maybe I should have more confidence in the bullpen because mm-hmm. they've been hitting me over the head with good performances all season long. But it just felt like that thing, that was going to get away from them for whatever reason. And it still didn't feel good going to extras. And then all of a sudden he turns on that pitch and it's, oh, they're going to win this game. Mm-hmm. And, and immediately you feel that confidence. Uh, clearly a two-run lead helps you in that in that scenario uh, to feel that way. But, but it that doesn't was always a, go that way and that's why. That was a big game. 
and they needed something, and you're waiting on it, waiting on it, waiting on it, and Brendan Belt just drops that bat, that bat into the zone with a very compact swing and very unassuming and mm-hmm. everything that he's doing, but he's been tearing the cover off the baseball this month, and it was pretty apt that it was him that came up with the big moment in the biggest game so far of the Blue Jays season. And Dalton Varsho. And those two have turned it on when it matters most. Like, we've talked about Dalton Varsho's uh, plate changes in his approach. You've seen that. They've done it on the, on the broadcast, and they'll talk about it more because it's a clear night and day. 21 games ago, he added the toe tap, and he's a completely different baseball player. Again, last night, delivering in big moments. Dalton Varsho, this is now looking like, hey, getting Brandon Belt and Dalton Varsho might be a good thing, right? And they got a lot of flack early on in the season, and and you know what, that... You can't erase that, but what you can do is change the narrative for the rest of this year. So Yeah, they're they're delivering on the promise all of a sudden, and, and Brandon Belt longer than Dalton Varsho, mm-hmm. uh, that was, you know, we're going to have a better lineup, an optimized yeah. lineup, and it's going to be different because we have more at our disposal now with these two guys. And Belt has been clearly amazing this month, as I as I uh, mentioned, but Dalton Varsho has been the second most yeah. valuable bat for the Blue Jays this month. These two guys who are maligned in their own different ways, less so for Belt, but certainly for Dalton Varsho, have been really, really important of late. And if they keep it up, we're not going to be talking about what happened in April with Brendan Belt yes. and what happened through July with, with Dalton Varsho. Like, mm-hmm. that stuff's not going to matter anymore if they can be not what they are right now because that's impossible to keep up, but just closer to what we're seeing lately. Uh, they're doing their job right now. All right, so we will definitely chat a lot more Blue Jays um, debriefing yesterday's game, but also teeing up tonight. The momentum is in the Blue Jays' favor. We're headed into Game 2, opportunity to win the series against the Orioles after a nice extra inning win last night. Uh, we'll chat with BNS after uh, we take a mid-break. But we want to talk about William Nylander because we have a little bit of hockey stuff to break down here. Um, it is the NHL European player media tour it's mm-hmm. a mouthful you know summer's almost over when uh elliot and, and jeff merrick are hanging out in europe somewhere yeah once you talking see to them, european born nhlers yeah once you see them like on some sort of public transit that isn't ttc and you see them like gallivanting on oh, i was a gonna boat. say some like beautiful yeah, ballroom you know, in oh yeah that's europe yeah. so they got to sit down with william nylander and of course we know there's big pending contracts to be signed or agreed upon with him and Austin Matthews, um, we've seen all the speculation about 10 million this and, you know, come back to me when you have an opportunity. So got a couple audio clips to play uh, from William and Elliot. But first of all, here's Elliot kind of painting the picture and saying, all right, what's the latest from the horse's mouth? We're all talking. You're the source. Where does everything stand? Well, uh, look, right now um, I'm just getting ready for, for the season and, um, my agent and uh, Brad can do whatever talking they want to do uh, for uh, to try to get a contract done. Obviously, there's no other place I want to uh, play at, so my mind's only in Toronto. Okay, so that's extremely Good stuff, important. right? That's what you want to hear. You want to hear William Nylander uh, basically saying that uh, the, the Leafs is the only thing that matters to him, right? I mean, money maybe matters just a little bit, but reaffirming his stance, wants yeah. to be a Leaf. Hoping to work out. And he is a Leaf. Of... He's got one more year left. That's right. And so he does talk about there needing to be a little bit less <laughs> cause for alarm, possibly. Like, William Nylander's a pretty chill guy. And you can tell by He doesn't his sound many alarms. He doesn't sound many alarms himself. Uh, we kind of sound the alarms, but he always has a very chill demeanor. 
Uh, we got two more clips, but uh, Elliot asking, like, the worst-case scenario, like, what would that be for him? Is any part of you concerned that this won't work out? That's for a later day and next, uh, after the next season. So I'm not worried about that right now. Like, this is where I want to be at, and I'm just focusing right now and getting ready to have the best year of, uh, of my career and helping the team to reach our goal that we all want to want to achieve. So that's uh, for another day to, for me to focus on because I still have one more year left, and, and that's the place I want to be at. So there's lots of time to get something done. There you go. There's another thing to check off. Wants to have a career year, wants to have a great year with the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's more things we want to hear, right? We got one more thing we can hear from him. Let's just, let's just let him wrap it up nicely for us. I mean, I still have one more year left, so I, I don't really understand what the big rush is either to get a get a deal done. I mean, got one more year left. We have a great team, and and we go from there. So everybody pump the brakes is what William Nylander is really saying. I mean, that's in a perfect world, he'd like you to do that, right? I, I think he doesn't want to be absolutely slammed with questions and his entire season narrative mm-hmm. being, you know, this kind of like derailing everything that's going on. Uh, I think it's pretty simple with William Nylander. He's unbothered by most things. And this isn't really going to bother him unless he's asked all the time about it. And then I think it'll get a little bit exasperating. But this is a guy who's just comfortable. Like, he, he doesn't need, just because he's eligible, to sign that deal. Yeah. He's cool with just playing it out because that's William Nylander. And I, I understand why that would make people who are fans of the Toronto Maple Leafs a little uncomfortable. But that's just William Nylander. And, it's, and you love that when it's like, oh, it's a playoff game. And, yeah, you want to see a little intensity. Intensity is definitely important. But we've seen the moment get the best of people. William Nylander doesn't really shy away from the moments in a lot of ways. And I just, for this reason and this contract negotiation, it's not like, again, that he's going to be sounding the alarms and forcing the issue. What I'd be worried about if I was a Leaf fan is someone else sounding the alarm and Mm. forcing the issue. Because I, I maintain the best, the worst possible scenario here is that they just reflexively trade this guy because he wants this and this is where they're starting the negotiations because it is a process if they just decide oh 10 million we're never going to give you that so here's a trade see you later willie the thing that they need to focus on is making sure that his best season which he's focused on providing is this one which costs 6.9 million Mm dollars and it's never going to cost that again i don't care what his next contract it is it's going to be more than 6.9 million dollars and i think just it just taking a deep breath and being like, hey, we don't have to make this decision now. If everyone had William Nylander's Nylander's attitude, maybe we get to a conclusion a little less painfully. But who knows? Maybe someone's going to overplay their hand in the end and it doesn't work out. And Nylander's going to fight for his his dollars 100%. It's not going to be easy to get it done, but he's not in a rush. And for that reason, if you're going to rush, if you're going to counter his unbothered nature with hastily making a decision, that's, if you're the Leafs, the time you're going to make a mistake. And training camps are just a couple weeks away, and I'm sure if there's nothing settled then, we'll hear it again when we talk to William Nylander in Toronto. And it might be just like how Austin Matthews dealt with it day one of the press last year. Well, I'm not going to be speaking about my contract at all this season, so 
don't talk to me about it. And, and it may that be, would be tough. And to the credit of the people, well, maybe not, but to everyone that did, did cover the Maple Leafs on a daily basis, they granted him that wish. I mean, Austin Matthews was not bothered about his contract status. Now, the difference is he was unable to sign an extension True. all of last season. William Nylander, any day from now until July 1st, can sign a, a contract extension with the Maple Leafs. And as long as he doesn't, there will be people speculating and there will be people asking questions about his future. He's got a weird fit on. Eh? In that video. Yeah. He's always been an interesting fashion cat, though. <laughs> he has, yes. Um, we're when, get... when do you stop, like, evolving your fashion sense, right? I don't know if, if like, you're I don't, an NHL I don't... or you'd probably never do. Like, I'm not, when I saw William, I'm like, I'm not, I'll never wear anything like that. That's not happening. Too yeah. old for that. I think it's just not your style. Um, ben Nicholson-Smith will join us after the break at sportsnet.ca and at the Letters Pod. Let's talk about how the Blue Jays might be able to carry this big win from last night into tonight. And if there's something called momentum in baseball, that's next. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Horfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. They continue to kind of just go out there and pick one one another up. Um, you know, it's nice when you can turn to Jimmy Garcia in the fifth inning. Um, and, you know, just, you know, one little blemish there. It was a hell of an at-bat by Westberg off of him. But, um, you know, from Hicks to Swanee, you know, Tim Meza, can't really underestimate what he's doing all year. And Jordy, you know, just kind of nasty there in the tenth. It's a lineup of guys that you want on your roster right there. Kevin Gosman, Dean Kramer take the mound tonight for game two, the Blue Jays and the Orioles. Blue Jays have a chance to win a series nice and early. Let's talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith, sportsnet.ca, and at the Letters Pod. BNS, how's it going? Good, good, good. I'm uh, out in uh, right field at Camden Yards right now, getting ready for uh, what should be a pretty interesting one between the Jays and Orioles. How are the vibes? Does it feel like playoff baseball? Because it certainly felt like that last night. It did. Yeah, it really did. Right now, the vibes are really quiet. There's a dude with a hose uh, spraying down a Pepsi sign and nice. some other people picking up some dirt <laughs> off the field. It's really chill. There's not even music playing. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's that kind of pregame uh, quiet energy. But, uh, yeah, the vibes around the Blue Jays, I think, are honestly pretty even keeled. Like, they're not too up in their own heads about it. Even, you know, Yusei Kikuchi last night was pretty, I would say, like kind of down on himself mm-hmm. after, you know, not performing the way he wanted to. But, then you get others, of course, like a Brandon Belt, who's uh, who's done it before, and um, you know he enjoyed the moment last night. But uh, they they know they have a lot more work to do. Yeah, maybe the playoff baseball vibe is is less rah 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 and more. This is serious time, crunch time. Every app uh, bat matters. Every defensive moment, like Bo Bichette's last night, matters. Having a bullpen that is unstoppable really matters. So, do you feel like there's maybe more of a a level of seriousness or urgency uh, with this team when you look at what they have the opportunity to do, at least with this series and then looking forward? Yeah, I do think that there's an aspect of of urgency, and you know, he, again, going back to Brandon Belt and what he said last night. You, so you don't want to put too much pressure on yourself where you start to perform worse because you start thinking, oh, my God, it's so urgent. We have to win today or else we're in trouble. So I don't think they're quite at that point where they're putting so much pressure on themselves. But at the same time, you have to, to take advantage of the opportunities in front of you. And, and I think the Jays did that. They played a pretty polished game yesterday. I mean, they were not making defensive mistakes. We saw them make some really good defensive plays. We saw their relief pitching was excellent. 
Um, they were able to get just enough offense against the good Orioles bullpen. Um, so it, it kind of came together for them, and it doesn't always happen that way, as, as Blue Jays fans know all too well. But I, I do think that this team is playing good baseball. They're, they're a good team playing some good baseball right now. Yeah, what I loved about last night is that there was a break, right? There was a break in the schedule. John Schneider's got most of his options uh, available to him, with the exception, I guess, of Chad Green. And you saw what it might look like. And I think that's especially important because, hey, they went up against elite team, late game, leverage scenarios. And what happened was that the bullpen for the Blue Jays outlasted the bullpen uh, for the Orioles. And something we were kicking around a lot last week was like, hey, what's more important, quality versus quantity? Blue Jays have the quantity thing, and it looked like the Orioles had the quality thing. Is that a reminder last night that, hey, what the Blue, Jay, well, the Blue Jays might not have those automatic guys that strike fear in the heart of everyone, but if you have more pitchers who are reliable than the other team, like that is really what's going to make the difference? Yeah, it is pretty remarkable. I mean, this is one of the best Blue Jays bullpens that I can really remember watching. Um, as, as John Schneider said in the clips that, that we just heard there, it is pretty good to be able to go to Jimmy Garcia in the fifth inning. And then you roll from there with the likes of Swanson. Who, Swanson was nasty last night. I mean, he looked, he looked great. Then you have Jordan Hicks coming in, throwing 100. Jordan Romano, he's been really, really good since coming back. I know he had the little bit of a you know, couple base runners on in Cincinnati, but he's been great since returning from the injured list. Um, it's a deep bullpen, and it's deeper than the Orioles' bullpen. They have obviously Cano and Bautista, and that is a really good one-two punch. But, yeah, to your point, the Blue Jays can really keep going. And especially after a day off and especially after a pretty lopsided win on Sunday, those guys were rested. It's not always going to be the case, but when it is, you have to take advantage just like the Jays did yesterday. Uh, so it's not the case tonight. I mean, there's a couple guys, uh, Romano in particular, uh, who didn't throw many pitches, I guess, would be available. But there's a little more pressure now on Kevin Gosman to have a great start. I mean, he is the ace. He's the guy who has a chance to win the series already for the Blue Jays. And maybe he won't have everyone ready to go behind him. Like, uh, you know, after a heavy bullpen usage day, is spotlight firmly on Gosman to go deep in this game today? It is, and I think that's the case pretty much any time that Gosman takes the mound. Um, you want to get seven out of him, but I think if you get six, you're, you're good to go. Um, if you get six, you could go to, you know, for argument's sake, let's say something like a Swanson, Hicks, Romano, or Tossin Meza. Um, I think most of those guys can go back-to-back. No reason that they shouldn't be able to, even at this point in the season. And then where you really run into trouble is tomorrow, but you'd figure that out. Um, you'd figure that out tomorrow if, if they were to um, get to that point. I think today they could use pretty much anyone. Um, Bowden Francis might still be down after throwing three innings Sunday, so he's maybe more of a tentative. Uh, but otherwise, I think the, for the high-leverage guys, late-game guys, um, you could certainly go back-to-back and just win this game in front of you if you have that opportunity because, uh, you know, to say nothing of the Orioles, the Mariners just keep winning. The Astros are playing some really good baseball, so you really need to keep pace in that wild-card chase. And it seems like a last-minute decision, and maybe you have more information on on why, but the Orioles had previously had Jack Flaherty scheduled to be the starter tonight, and it will be Dean Kramer. I'm wondering if you know uh, a little bit behind why they would have made that last-minute change and how that affects a starter that was supposed to be you know, ready for tomorrow instead. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Honestly, Ailish, I do not know at this point what the reasoning uh, for that one is. So looking to find out more in the next few hours here, but... Um, I'm sure the Jays are, are going over some video 
of Kramer as we speak here to try to get ready. He's a guy they've seen a lot of mm-hmm. in spring training and in the regular season. So they have some familiarity there. It won't be too much of a last-minute adjustment, but definitely one that uh, popped up unexpectedly this morning. Maybe the guy with the hose and the Pepsi sign knows. Give him the, give him the <laughs> yeah, phone. I should ask, right? Yeah, Come it, on. That's, uh, that's why I'm here. I should, he I could should, be an insider. He's got the scoop out there in right field. Um, all right. Well, we were we were thinking it would definitely impact uh, the way the Blue Jays approached uh, their scouting a little bit last-minute change, but if you want someone on the mound, you want Kevin Gosman on the mound for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, do you think he's got uh, a little bit of insight on how to figure Ryan Mountcastle out? Because that's uh, one of the biggest things that Kikuchi did last night. He shut down the Jays' killer in Ryan Mountcastle. Um, how does Kevin Gosman approach trying to do that back-to-back nights? Yeah, it, it was. It's been so hard for the Blue Jays to shut him down, <laughs> as, uh, as Blue Jays fans are well aware. Uh, and, and in particular, for you, say Kikuchi, I mean, the numbers were pretty wild. Four homers, seven for, for 12, and four walks as well. But last night, Kikuchi shut him down, a couple strikeouts, fly ball out. So that was really good. And I asked Kikuchi after the game what he was able to do. He said he went fastballs in on the hands of Mountcastle and then breaking stuff away that was strike to ball. So uh, that's what I assume Kevin Gosman will try to do is attack him uh, on the hands with some fastballs. And then if he can get ahead in the count, try to use that splitter of his uh, to induce some swings and misses or at least some weak contact. So it worked for one night, but Mountcastle, he's a, he's a good hitter. And against the Blue Jays, he seems to become a great hitter. He'll be hungry tonight too, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, For Gosman, I mean, it wasn't the best outing last time. Uh, The splitter wasn't splitting uh, as I guess you'd want it to. Uh, What are the early signs from Gosman that would uh, indicate that he, all the pitches are working in his repertoire tonight? Yeah, I just think it's like with most pitchers, it's, is he getting ahead in the count? Uh, Because when he's on, when Kevin Gosman has the command um, of his pitches, uh, he's filling up the strike zone and he's pitching ahead and he's pitching with a lot of confidence. And um, you're seeing a lot of O two one two counts um, to opposing hitters. So uh, if we see that early on, then it should be a tough night for Orioles hitters. And if we see he's behind in the count, um, he's walking a couple guys early, uh, that would be a sign that, you know, the, the Blue Jays might be in for a tough one. So, um, I think it's really about just filling up the zone because we know the quality of the stuff is there. He's got such a live arm, really has the stuff of a, a late-inning reliever that he's using as a starting pitcher for six or seven innings at a time. So it's an incredible um, arsenal. We've seen him pitch like an ace all year and put himself in the Cy Young conversation, and rightfully so. Um, but, uh, yeah, tonight I would be looking just to see him filling up that strike zone. Uh, Sportsnet's Ben Nicholson-Smith on the line. Okay, so Brandon Belt authors one of the moments, I guess, of the season for the Blue Jays last night, taking the first pitch from Michael Bauman out of the park. Uh, it, it leads to one of the most important victories we've seen this year. And, and Belt's had an amazing month. Really, he's had a great season, with the exception of his first couple weeks or first uh, steps forward with the Blue Jays uh, this season. Has he already has like has he exceeded firmly expectations for you? Is this beyond what even reasonable expectations should have been for Brendan Belt? I mean, he's pretty important to this lineup right now, uh, hitting where he's hitting and providing what he's provided. Uh, it may not last throughout the entire balance of the season, but Brendan Belt, if you look at the numbers now and what he's accumulated, uh, he might have already you know exceeded what was actually expected from him. Yeah, this is really on the high end of what anyone could have expected from Brandon Belt. And I know he hit 29 homers a couple of years ago when he was with the Giants. He led their team 
in homers that year in 2021. Um, but you know, he's a couple years older, and he's he's dealt with health issues uh, since then. So no one was expecting a total repetition of those numbers. And right now he's at 14 home runs, you know, a chance to push close to 20. He's been on base all the time. He's making great contact, and he's been. Yeah, it's kind of wild, but he has been one of the best hitters on this team this year. I mean, when he's been in there, um, he he really has. And that's not what we would have expected from a group that includes George Springer in his, you know, it should be his prime. He's making $150 million with this team. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. should be entering his prime. Um, and, and neither one of those guys has hit for a ton of power this year. Same can be said for Matt Chapman, who's in his walk year. Same can be said for Alejandro Kirk, who was a silver slugger last year. So, you have all these guys who aren't – it's not to say that they're disasters. It's just they're not hitting up to their potential. They're not hitting up to what we would have expected. And so with their contributions not as considerable, to have Brandon Belt exceeding expectations, I think, is that much more important. Someone else that's kind of writing their own redemption arc right now is Dalton Varsho. And uh, I know the broadcast, and I know you guys have been really uh, in tune with the changes he's made. I think it's been 21 or 22 games since he added that toe tap, and it's just been a completely different Dalton Varsho at the plate. He's being able to be a, a massive contributor to this team, just like Brandon Belt. Um, what has impressed you most with just like, that's a tough thing to do, midseason, make an adjustment, and then have it pay off immediately. And I guess what's his what's his um, response to when asked about well, how did this come up? How did you decide to do this? And I mean, you should have done. How do we get that other other players to be doing that? You should have done a little earlier too. Well, yeah, and, it, and it's something that he tinkered with earlier this season as well because uh, you know he was looking to make some adjustments, and he's not afraid to to work with his swing. Um, so he did make that change earlier in the season. Then he went back to a little bit of a bigger. Um, more like a little leg kick as opposed to just that um, that heel strike, that that more uh, short to the ball swing that we're seeing now. So um, it's working, and that's the important thing. Another homer for Dalton Varsho uh, last night. Steadily, some really good at bats from him. And of course, the the thing about him that's that's been that's been really consistent this year is just his defense and his base running and his effort level have never wavered. And I think that we can say that also about Kevin Kiermaier. Um, it's easy to say, and it's, I imagine, really hard to do in the course of 162, or else more guys would do it. And it is, it's remarkable just like how these guys, and, and you know, I'll throw Vlad Jr. in there too, because Vlad Jr. plays max effort and he posts every day. Um, and, and he is always, you know, going out um, and, and, and just giving his full, full effort. So it is, uh, it, it's a reason why the Blue Jays are able to at least stay in these close games and sometimes win these close games is if you have guys, um, not to say that they don't make mistakes, but guys who are giving max effort on a really high percentage of plays, I think does help. Yeah, suddenly all those lefties are uh, delivering the desired outcome uh, when we're talking about it teeing up the season and obviously what the Blue Jays' plans were uh, in the offseason. Uh, in terms of playoff viability, I mean, we talk about Yusei Kikuchi and whether he's elevated into automatic playoff starter uh, territory. Uh, did you learn anything against an elite lineup like the Baltimore Orioles had in terms of, you know, what his usage might be or is that too much to write from one start against elite competition on the heels of what's been a dominant couple weeks from him. He's, yeah, he's been great. I think he would definitely be on a playoff roster. Um, and, you know, of course, first things first, you got to get there. And he's been a big part of, of doing that. And uh, I think that last night would almost offer a template of what a playoff game would look like, where if you go into a wild card series, 
you probably aren't asking Yusei Kikuchi to go six innings, even if he finishes as strong as he's been going for the last month, because it's playoff baseball and you have relievers for a reason. And you want to put yourself in a position to have the best matchups possible as many times in the course of a game as you can. So that's where, yeah, in a playoff game, I could see Jimmy Garcia coming in in the fifth inning, or maybe it's Yenesis Cabrera. If, if you have a right-hander on the mound, those are the types of guys that could pitch pretty early. And then you roll from there and try to mix and match. And there's an art to that. It obviously didn't work last year when the Blue Jays cost up a giant lead to the Seattle Mariners in game two of their playoff series. But I, I still think that's the right approach where you want to try to get the best matchups possible. And that means tightening the leash on your starting pitcher a little bit. Uh, unless it's a guy like Gosman, who probably would still be expected to go six or seven innings. Barrios would still be expected to go six. But I think in a playoff game, for, for Kikuchi, you're probably looking at five, you know, a couple times through the order, and then you would be likely to hand it off to the bullpen. Ben, before we let you go, um, I was reading your article up on sportsnet.ca about uh, the latest on Alec Benoa, and everybody can check that out for a bit more of an in-depth analysis. But this has certainly become a story. Uh, maybe I didn't expect it to become a story originally, but uh, it's been a while since he's pitched. And um, what's just your latest understanding on what what kind of the holdout is here between the club and between Manoa and what they're deciding and maybe deciding not to share? Yeah, they're clearly not sharing the whole picture with us um, at this point. There's uh, some information that's, that's just not out there for now. Um, what we do know is that it's been almost two weeks since Alec Manoa pitched in a game. Um, he was optioned to AAA Buffalo. He has not reported to AAA Buffalo. He is in Toronto with the team's uh, blessing. So that is something that John Schneider said the team and Alec Manoa are jointly um, you know, in, in agreement on, that he is working out. Um, in Toronto, um, when he pitches next is still kind of to be determined, and it's an unconventional setup. It is, it's not the norm. The norm would be that a player would be optioned and then would report to that uh, minor league affiliate in the, in the day or two following. So that's what we know for now. Um, as for the reasons, as for some of the um, next steps, those things have not been shared. So that's um, you know information that, that we'll maybe get or not get over, over time. But for now, that's what we know. Well, I don't think the guy out there in right field knows uh, the answer to that question. But we're looking forward to hearing more from you, Ben, as the game approaches on a couple things pending here. But appreciate you ju- jumping on. Enjoy tonight's action. And uh, hopefully Blue Jays can get a series win tonight. Sounds good. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Justin. That's Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet and, of course, the At The Letters podcast. Um, all right, so his article up there um, with Manoa and Toronto Blue Jays work through plans yeah. for next steps. Take a look through that because there's still a lot of unanswered things and you, you, you gotta kind of wait. I'm personally still deciding how outraged I am about this. Like, I, I feel like obviously we need to know a few more things. Like, mm-hmm. maybe there's a, a good reason. But if it's just like, I'm above AAA. Well, that's certainly unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, what are we even doing here? You've proven nothing, but really. the fact that there is like a a, a pause around the outrage Mutually gr- agreed upon makes me think that there could be some i mean i don't want to even speculate but like you know i know yeah i don't it's just not great i mean uh, you're a professional ball player and if you are one and you can't play at the highest level well if you want to continue to be a professional ball player mm-hmm. you have to do it at a lesser level and try to get back to the top level and currently that is the reality for alec Mano. and if you don't want to accept that well, I don't know what we're. I don't know what the future holds. We'll just put it that way. So Ben's still not um, 
sure exactly why the Baltimore Orioles, Oreos, the Oreos, <laughs> double stuffed, why they have changed their starting pitcher for tonight. Double so, stuffed. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Need a double stuffing tonight, 2 nothing yeah, series lead. Oh, God. We got to find that out later as uh, you chat with the managers. Anyway, <laughs> let's give away some TFC tickets. Let's do it. Woo! We got another TFC giveaway for our listeners today. This time, it's for next Wednesday's matchup against Philadelphia Union, 7.30 p.m. at BMO Field. To enter for a chance to win these tickets, text today's code word, GAVRIN, to 59590. So that is spelled G-A-V-R-A-N. Oh, you're giving it to him? Yes. Uh, you want a TFC hardo to get this. Okay, well, Maybe autocorrect gets them. Okay. Today's code word is Gavrin. 595-90. Text that in right now to enter for your chance to win tickets to Wednesday's game. That's a week from now. And tickets to this game, whether they're won through us or purchased at Ticketmaster.ca, will also grant free entry to the CNE. There you go. And the CNE will be on our minds while we chat with Pinball Clemens at 4.30 because BMO... Because an Argo ticket gets Argo you to the Argo ticket. You can head down there on Friday night and see both as well. And I believe, as a tease, there might be an in-studio tasting of some CNE foods in the next day or two. We'll see. We're working on it. Yeah, I'm like uh, unreasonably You're already cringing. Because I don't like, I don't just too, getting too weird with food is something that I'm just not overly excited about. I know you'll be real pumped it's gonna up be about fun. it. going to be fun. There was there was talk of like dill pickle, yeah, the dill pickle cotton, cotton candy, candy and for stuff. Sure. Like I just I'm gonna be I'm gonna need a bucket beside me, oh, and I don't just, want to do that. It'll make for good radio listening to Justin puke his guts out in the studio. Yeah, that, yeah that's exactly. Stay what tuned want. for that. But we will chat with Adnan Verk after the break of MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Pod. We're gonna go through quite a few things with him, and then Pinball Clements, the legend, will join us to wrap up our show. You know what I'd take though? A fried, double stuffed. Oreo. How about that? Maybe we get to see one tonight. That's safe stuff. All right. Fan drive time continues after the break. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The fan drive time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Drive time, Justin and Ailish, Sportsnet 590, the fan. A treat for us to be on the afternoons once in a while because we get to talk to this guy right here. Adnan Verk, MLB Network, and a gel network and cinephile pod. Adnan, how are you? Oh, the pleasure's all mine, Ailish. Nice to talk to you and Justin again. We've had a good thing going this summer, so <laughs> it's nice to reunite with both of you. It's nice when Ben takes a break, eh? We get to we get to steal the seat for a bit. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> we enjoy it, and we get to... F- oh, it's great. It's great. We get to talk some uh, Blue Jays Orioles, which is a great time to catch up with you. This is a, a very, very big litmus test, as we were putting it for the Jays and the Orioles, because uh, one team is the picture of excellence so far this season, and one is looking to uh, catch up. And uh, last night, the Blue Jays did a really good job at putting 
put themselves in that conversation. Uh, when you look at this Blue Jays team and the way that they were able to pull out a win last night, is the bullpen the biggest point of confidence when you think, okay, playoffs, World Series, how is this team going to get there? Well, they might have the best te- uh, bullpen in baseball. Yeah, I'd extend it even more, Alex, just to look at the overall pitching staff. I mean, the fact that the Jays currently have the number one pitching staff by ERA in baseball to me is amazing. And they're the only team in baseball which is top five in both starter and reliever ERA. So I'm kind of shocked if you told me at the start of the year, August 23rd, the strength of this Blue Jays team unquestionably is going to be their pitching. I would say, well, with that offense, of course, it's going to be no problem. And, of course, it hasn't really gone that way necessarily because there's been question marks offensively. But you're right about the bullpen. And, again, credit to Shapiro and Atkins for identifying a need in Swanson in the offseason, pairing him with Romano, and then going out and getting Jordan Hicks, a guy that can throw 100 miles an hour and was terrific in terms of insurance in case Romano was hurt long-term coming the All-Star break instead. Now you've got a three-headed monster. And, it, you know, if you can make the game into a six-inning game, the Yankees did that for years, right? Mike Stanton, Jeff Nelson, Mariano Rivera. And similarly, the Blue Jays are trying to do that as well. It's really a strength of this team. And, and again, the starters I look at and say, Barrios is back to being a reasonable facsimile of who he once was. Manoa isn't, but better than he showed earlier. Gossman's top three in the Cy Young voting right now. And you've still got Kikuchi, who went to the comeback player of the year. Tossing a little Chris Barrett for you as well. And there's no reason the pitching should be an issue for this Blue Jays team. But they've got to take advantage of the schedule right now. And we all know how much they've struggled in the American League East. Seven and a half games back of the Orioles. I thought last night's game was important. Varsho going deep was a good sign. And they need to get more offense from guys like him to really be competitive. Because, like you said, Ailish, the time is now. I mean, they're a game back now of Seattle. The Mariners inevitably will cool off a little bit. But the Jays can't take it for granted that they're going to make the playoffs the way Seattle's played. And with Boston still in the mix, they've got to make hay now. So I don't know if we learned something about the Blue Jays. Maybe we did because, I mean, we've sort of known and we've seen the numbers. We should believe in the pitching by now with this Toronto Blue Jays team, even if it is different than what we've seen in years past. So maybe we didn't learn anything about them. But did we learn something about Baltimore last night? Because the Blue Jays pitching outlasts the Orioles. And if the Orioles are going to win a World Series, they can't have that happen, right? No, exactly right, Justin. And listen, I really love the Orioles just because, you know, I, I think it's a good story. You know, they've been having hard times for a long time. It's their best team since 2016 when Buck Showalter was their guy in the playoffs, the Buck truck. Last year they overachieved, and people said, okay, it was a nice story in the 80 wins, but the Pirate regressed a little bit, still a young team. And instead the time is now. And I think when you're a team like that, you can't rest on your laurels and go, we're building something special. More prospects are coming. Jackson Holiday, Matt Holiday's kid, number one prospect in all of baseball. He's coming next year. Like, no, pounce while you can. But for Baltimore, the big thing for me is their pitching. And I have to look up and down and say, are this really going to be a team that has the pitching that can go deep in the playoffs? Perhaps. And I do like the back end of their bullpen. You near Cano and that mountain of a man, Felix Bautista, coming out to the whistle from the wire, Omar Song. But they're starting pitching like they got some questions. I would have loved if they got a Verlander. Instead, they got Jack Flaherty. He's good. I don't think he's great. You know, Gibson's a veteran. Okay, Wells, Bradish. Those guys don't strike fear in your heart the way the other rotations have that have gone deep in the playoffs. What Baltimore has is a surplus of hitting. And that obviously begins with Rutschman and then Gunnar Henderson, who I think right now is probably the rookie of the year. He's had a terrific season after a slow start. You got Hayes as an all-star. Obviously, Santander and others. But... Mullins has been good for them. Mel Castle's been really good the last month. Ever since he got over that vertigo, he's sitting 350. But there was some thought, Justin, the Baltimore should have traded one of those hitters for an arm 
kind of a strength for strength in Seattle. They've got so many good pitchers with George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, Luis Castillo, Miller as well. Maybe they should have swapped one of those pitchers, one of the Orioles hitters. They didn't do that, and that is my one concern for Baltimore. When it's all said and done, if they win the division, that's an incredible story. But do they have the starters to match up with a Houston, with a Texas come playoff time? I'm not so sure. Yeah, Brandon Belt had no uh, problem helping that narrative last night with a big uh, home run in the 10th inning, of course, helping the Blue Jays with their win in extras. Uh, we are talking a lot about Brandon Belt and what he's brought to this team, a veteran presence. Somebody's actually won and knows what it takes down the stretch here when the games get important, when the games get tense. And he has this air of um, leadership and, and but like very calm, you know, he's not rah, rah, rah. He just leads by example. He's very nonchalant, um, but he's been performing like someone that is a rock star as of late. Uh, what have you seen from Brandon Belt and how valuable is that for the Blue Jays right now with somebody that has uh, certainly flipped the script of how people were viewing him early on in the season? Yeah, Alex, I always loved him on the Giants because exactly describing, which is a really steady presence. You know, in some ways he's underappreciated because he's a left-handed slugger that's not hitting 30, 40 home runs. He's the guy that hits for average and drives in runs, but doesn't have a ton of power. In some ways, he kind of reminds you of, like, old-school Keith Hernandez. You know, Keith Hernandez on the Cardinals and the Mets would hit 300. He'd have, like, 15 home runs, but he'd drive in, like, 100 runs. you go, wow. So he doesn't have a ton of power, but had a real knack for driving in runs and could sniff those opportunities out. In the case of Belt, again, he's not a guy whose numbers are eye-popping when it comes to power, but he's hit well for average. And if you look at OPS+, Plus. I believe he's second on the Blue Jays behind Bo Bichette. Like, that's how steady and consistent he's been. That's pretty surprising a team with the like. Maybe maybe Chapman's ahead of him, but you would think Chapman and Vlad Jr. and George Springer, like, there'd be other guys ahead of him in that, in that specific analytics. So I think for what they're getting from him in that position, they should be thrilled with Brandon Belt. Uh, he has the tangibles in that he can hit well, but also the intangibles. You mentioned the leadership and the calming influence on a young team. So, if they could just get Springer to, and to go from, you know, average to good, if they could get Vlad Jr. to go from good to very good, if they get, could get Kirk above average, if Varsho could go from 233 to 263, this Jays team would have no problem making the playoffs, quite simply. But those four guys have to do more offensively. Thankfully, Brandon Belt has certainly delivered. Yeah, even so, if you see all those improvements, I mean, the, the race in the American League uh, uh, in the American League itself is hotly, hotly contested right now. And you mentioned the Seattle Mariners. Hey, they have to drop back. I guess that is true, but how much? I'm not really sure. I mean, they just look like an unstoppable force right now. So if we're doing the threat level when it comes to Seattle, if it's coming down to Seattle and Toronto, if that's what it's going to be, I mean, how... How insurmountable or on the path to insurmountable is this challenge when looking at just how well the Mariners playing and how strong the vibes seem to be with a team that just looks like it's playing carefree and carefree baseball when you're that talented usually equates to winning baseball. Yeah, Justin, it's a significant challenge, but I do think the Blue Jays are the better team and have the better roster, but it's not going to be a cakewalk. I think Boston, I can discount a little bit as much as I love my buddy Alex Cora, He's got that team overachieving. Nobody expected the Red Sox to even be sniffing the playoffs. And you saw some of the theatrics last night, even Justin Verlander. You know, this is a real bear of a schedule for Boston. They just swept the Yankees, but now they've got the Astros. And they've got the hardest remaining schedule in the American League of any contender. So let's put them aside and say they're 84 wins, but not quite good enough. Of course, the Yankees are floundering. Nine-game losing streak, first time since uh, 81, I believe. So that's shocking how bad they've been. You can discount them. Angels obviously fine. So the Blue Jays, it really is Blue Jays and Mariners. I really think you can make that case for that final wall card spot. Tampa Bay, despite the injuries to their rotation, I still think make the playoffs. And I think Houston is 
still going to be a force pushing Texas. But what's shocking is when you look at the AL West, Justin, Astros are a half game back. The Mariners are a game out. Like, it's not even the wild card. Now, they could actually potentially win the division because Texas has to be sliding at an inopportune time. Now, for Seattle, what surprises me is that Jerry DePoto, this very rarely works. He was kind of one foot in, one foot out. Normally, you're pushing for a World Series championship or you're resigned to the fact it's not going to be your year. Jerry kind of did a little bit of both. He sold Seawald, his closer, the D-backs, but he didn't punt in the season. Instead, he waited for them to wake up, and they did. And again, that quartet of pitchers is ferocious. It's their offense that had to step up, and my man Julio Rodriguez has certainly done so. I spoke to him last Saturday on MLB Network, and he's as charismatic and as young a, a guy that you'd want in the game to be supportive of and have your team rally around. He's a real team leader, but he was striking at a ton in the first half. But this latest stretch, I mean, he went bonkers, four-hit games and four straight games, tying a major league record, going back in the modern era, amazing. Kyle Raleigh's hit 24 home runs. Jasker Hernandez is hitting a little bit. They are strikeout-prone, but recently they've been making a lot more contact and hitting a lot more home runs. So DePoto was very cagey in that he didn't punt. He said, hey, we made the playoffs last year. This is a better team than what we've shown, but I don't think we're winning a World Series necessarily, so I'll deal Seawall. Now, what I'd be curious to see is, as Ailish mentioned, the Jays' bullpen's a real strength. What if Seattle down the stretch ends up seeing, hey, we really miss having Paul Seawald as our closer, a guy that we can depend on? Maybe that ends up hurting Mariners at some point, perhaps. Maybe that's wishful thinking. But they're a good team, and they are better than they showed earlier in the year. As you said, there should be some regression. They can't possibly keep winning the way they have been recently, but they're not going to fall off too much either. I think they've kind of figured it out. And with that pitching staff, I wouldn't discount them. You touched on it a little bit, but I want to circle back. Is, you know, Texas is, is going through a little bit of a, a bumpy patch here. Are they vulnerable when we look at the standing? I know it's only, it's only a game up on the Seattle Mariners, but, like, we're trying to rope teams into this race if you're the Blue Jays. It's a little more comfortable when you just have to beat one of several teams out down the stretch than one of one being the Seattle Mariners. Can we lump in Texas? Are they a legitimate uh, threat to fall out of the playoff pitcher altogether? I don't think so. I really like this Texas team. They lead the American League in offense. Simeon and Seager, both those guys were fantastic. They just got Jonah Heim back, even though Mitch Garver did a really good job filling in a catcher for him. They've got Josh Young, who should be top three in the rookie of the year voting. And to me, Nathaniel Lowe's a guy who can hit as well. To me, up and down their lineup, I see guys that can hit, and they're going to score runs in bunches. And Adolis Garcia, I didn't even mention, could lead the league in RBI. So I think their offense is bulletproof. Now, they're pitching. Of course, they would have loved to have had Jacob DeGrom back. Instead, they go out and deal for Max Scherzer, and Scherzer's been good so far, better than what he showed with the Mets. Dane Dunning has stepped up, you know, the likes of Martin Perez. And Nathan Evaldi, who right now is top five in the signing voting, if you look at the betting odds, he's second behind Garrett Cole. So I think this Rangers team is legit. I think they win the division. I just think it happens to be a stretch. It's a long season. You lose five or six games. I get it. Seattle happens to be hot. But for me, the West is still Texas' division to lose. I still think ultimately the two teams I would put in pen making the playoffs are Baltimore and Texas. After that, if you told me Tampa went in the tank, I suppose I could see it. If you said Houston really falls off, I suppose. But the ones that I'm putting in pen are Texas, Baltimore, and probably Minnesota. I don't see the Guardians making up that six-game advantage. So for the Blue Jays, it really is Rays, Astros, and Mariners that they're really contending with. All right, we might not have all the time in the world, which we may need to unpack this uh, this next question here, but uh, it's a pretty dark time in the history of the New York Yankees. Uh, not what is the fix, what is the first uh, step toward a fix or fixing the New York Yankees? 
Well, I think the main issue right now is Brian Cashman. And listen, he's a Hall of Fame executive. If he was to part with the Yankees, it would take him about two seconds to go get another job. And there's nobody that can discount what he has meant to the Yankees franchise. And that's honestly in the late 90s. However, it is also inarguable. The moves that he's made recently have just been absolute you-know-what. I mean, Stanton's contract is still four years, $128 million, even if they eat half his salary. If they told the Giants, can you pay four years, 56, I don't even know if they'd do that. I don't think they paid $14 million a year for Stanton, a guy that hits 202, and right now is not hitting home runs the way you expect him to when he hit 59 and won the MVP. Donaldson move, terrible. Defensive specialist, couldn't hit worth a lick, not great in the clubhouse, $25 million a year. Not even playing now, and you deal up Gio Urshela. Volpe gets called up, terrific defensively, can't hit yet. Too much, too soon, okay, but he's athletic, can do a few things. LeMahieu, I get it for Cashman. He had two years, he was a steal. Two years, $24 million, signs the six-year deal, and he no longer looks like an everyday player. Looks like a utility man. He's got no power in his bat. It's really tough to watch. They have no left fielder. you got the likes of Greg Allen and Jake Bowers manning left field. Harrison Bader going to be a free agent after this season. That deal for Montgomery did not work out. So it's on Brian Cashman. You know, Carlos Rodon, you signed to a six-year deal. He looks like a bust. First three months, he doesn't pitch. He comes back. He's ineffective. Blows a kiss to the crowd on the road. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, we're giving you $162 million to be the 1B to 1A is Garrett Cole. They're top-heavy. Judge is outstanding. Of course, Garrett Cole, aside from that blip against the Red Sox, should win the Cy Young. But after that, they've got so many holes in this lineup. I went to the game on Sunday. I took a couple of my kids. Red Sox-Yankees, a great rivalry game. And you watch that, and you go, how in the world is this Aaron Boone's fault? Now, again, full disclosure, I worked with Boone five years at ESPN. We're still friends. We keep in touch. And I, I recognize people are going to say, well, I'm going to fire Aaron Boone. But you guys tell me right now, in what universe is that team making the playoffs? I don't care if Earl Weaver is the manager or Lou Pinella. This is not on Aaron Boone. This is on Brian Cashman and the poor roster construction and the fact these guys haven't stepped up. So to your point, Justin, Cashman's not going anywhere. He just signed his deal last year. Booney's got one year left. Now, Hal hates to eat dead money, but they may say he has to walk the plank for a last-place Yankees team, which has lost nine straight, first time since the early 80s. And by the way, they haven't lost 10 straight since 1913, so they better not lose tonight. But the problem is their young guys aren't quite good enough. Their farm system, I looked at it, it, depending on who you speak to, Baseball Reference had them at a number 11. Baseball America had them at number 20. So they got a few guys who you just saw they got called up. Cabrera and Pereira. Jason Dominguez just got called up to AAA. They got a few guys along with Volpe who are supposed to be pretty good. But that's it. Like, this is going to take some real creativity from Brian Cashman. Deal Stanton's contract. Thank God Donaldson comes off the books. See if you can deal LeMahieu. Call up those young players. Like, there's a lot of work for this team to be done. And quite frankly, I'm amazed. They're only five games under 500. As of July 4th, remember, they were three games back in the wild card. And now all of a sudden, they've really shown their true colors, and it's a very flawed roster. Well, things in New York City might be uh, turning for the better because the U.S. Open is around the corner, and I know you're a big tennis guy. So how's the Djokovic-Alcaraz era for you? Are you? Is it must-see, must-ticket? Uh, must Can you get a ticket? I know you like to get in tickets, too. We heard about that. You're a big ticket shoes guy. <laughs> Can you get some tickets for that as well? So, I mean, that's excitement coming to New York City. Shout-out to Dan Schulman. I was in Toronto a couple weeks ago. He did hook me up with tickets. Dan's the man. Mm-hmm. Had a great time checking out the Cubs and Blue Jays. Unfortunately, the Blue Jays lost that Friday night game right before Batista got inducted, by the way. Level of excellence. And shout-out to my friend Puffy. His wife, Tanya, works for Rogers. So I got tickets to go watch the tennis at York University, mm. which is near where my parents that I call it the Rogers. I don't know what the name is now. But speaking of Alcaraz, Alish, that's who we saw. And as mm-hmm. you know with tennis, 
get a ticket to you know, the Thursday night session, you have no idea. I'm like, oh, my God, we get to watch Alcaraz. Awesome. So it was incredible to be able to watch him in three sets win. Yeah, it was so good. And um, I can't wait for the Open. I think it's going to be great drama. I've got tickets. I did pay myself. I went on the website. Don't worry. I couldn't get any hookups <laughs> for this one. But I'm going to go day one, night session, Arthur Ashe. Because nice. if you get tickets to Ash, you can go to Louis Armstrong, you can go to all the other courts. So my kids, thankfully, good American boys, but they love the fact Dad is Canadian. So I said, we have to go, and we'll watch one of Shapovalov or Oja Eliassime or, you know, one of these Canadians will be playing on day one at night. So I can't wait to go check it out and see whichever Canadian I can support. And, yes, Alcaraz Djokovic to me is, is must-see TV. God, seeing Alcaraz in person, guys, his court coverage is incredible. He gets to everything and that's one of the skills you could say about Djokovic. So the fact that they kind of mirror each other in that respect, I really hope that is the men's final because I think that'd be incredible entertainment for all the tennis fans in New York. Yeah, it's got to happen. It definitely has to happen for New York City and for the tennis world. But like Djokovic is going under like a little weird transformation, at least in people in some people's eyes. And I know you're not a huge Djokovic guy, a big Federer guy. Are you like ready for his, yeah. you know, his career or his narrative arc kind of changing a little bit, becoming a bit of a sympathetic figure? Do you feel any of that? Do you think Alcaraz will help him not become at all. that? No, no, I. No, I'm hoping that Djokovic endures a steep and uh, irreversible decline and that Alcaraz helps push him off the cliff and everyone says, oh, my God. Remember, Djokovic was unbeatable, had the most majors, and then Alcaraz came and just wiped the floor because, therefore, it will it will narrow that gap between the Fed fans like me and those who say Djokovic is the all-timer. No, I, I have no sympathy for Djokovic. You know, with Nadal, I always appreciate him as a great rival of Federer's, and you can tell they genuinely liked each other. But Djokovic almost, I think in some ways, Justin thrives off that animosity. He knows He'll never be as beloved as Federer or Nadal. And I believe in some quarters, Alcaraz is already more well-liked than Djokovic. He just has a certain air about him, and he's just not warm and cuddly. And listen, I respect him as a player, of course. He's one of the greatest players of all time. He's tremendous to watch, especially his return game. But no, to me, he's not cuddly. He's not sympathetic, and nor will he be anytime soon. And hopefully (laughs) Alcaraz can really start to prove it's his time to shine. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to have a couple uh, outings like the Cincinnati final for this to be a great rivalry, but I think uh, most people are like you, wants to see Alcaraz take the torch and maybe stop a bit of the Djokovic momentum because, yeah, he might run away with a lot of those records uh, if he's left to his own devices without any real challenge. Uh, Let's do a little NFL. I mean, Jonathan Taylor playing chicken with the Indianapolis Colts just a little bit. Is this the worst time for a running back to just try and test? test his uh his value uh, not even on the free agent market in the trade market when all these rosters are already full anyway yeah it makes no sense justin clearly he's not getting good advice i mean if you're going to pull this move you do it in july right before i prefer training camps open and you put a little pressure on the team you do it now and you go okay we'll just get somebody else especially running backs running backs to me are like the travel agents of the world right they, you don't need them anymore like we'll just we'll just find another running back that the team that i root for and I have been for a long time as my beloved Philadelphia Eagles. You know, we lose a running back. We'll just sign a few other guys. We got a little Rashad Penny, a little Kenneth Gainwell, and we don't care. Like, we'll just have four running backs. So I, I think running backs are, you know, with the exception of a few great ones, you know, Derrick Henry's of the world, they're generally fairly replaceable. And, um, you know, holdouts to me are just never a great option unless you're doing it when you really do hold the hammer. You know, if you're Lamar Jackson, you can hold out because you will definitely get paid and you're a great quarterback and you know your worth. In, in this case, for Jonathan Taylor as a running back for a team, that to me, it's not like with him, they win the Super Bowl, right? With him, they're better, of course. But are there other options that are viable? Sure. And we're a couple of weeks away from the season starting. So I, I question the timing of it. And, and generally, it doesn't work out. Like, maybe you get a little bit of a raise, but is it worth the, the acrimony and the frustration you may end up causing? I, I'm not sold on that. 
or approaching some of the best time in sports. You got uh, NFL kicking up, and then you've got a playoff baseball and NHL all around the corner as well. Um, Adnan, I know you got lots going on. Uh, love you, appreci- appreciate you for coming on, and love getting a chance to chat with you um, on these afternoons. So thanks so much. Oh, so much. Thank you so much. That's such kind words. Love you guys too, and hopefully we can do this more often. Get me on that morning show. I can do mornings too. Whatever you need. Okay, <laughs> we'll wake you up nice and early. Appreciate it. Thanks, Adnan. That's Adam Verk of NHL Network, MLB Network, Cinephile Pod. I didn't get a chance to talk to him about Oppenheimer and Barbie, but I know that he saw them both and had good stuff on his podcast. So you go check that out um, because he's a big movie guy too. And a lot of love there. It's only been three conversations. It's pretty good. <laughs> he's a good guy. God, you just got to get him on the morning. Instant chemistry. Got to get him on the morning show. Love it. Uh, we did get some NHL, NHLPA adjacent news a little earlier in the show. We want to make sure we bring that up. Um the Players Association and the NHL are saying that they're working, and I know working means not a lot of things, but progress is something, on creating an international competition to be held in February 2025. And the league and the PA intend to begin what they say is a regular rotation of Olympic participation and a World Cup of Hockey okay. on the even years. And so an example of that, and this is Bill Daly saying this, would be like if we did a... 25 like 2025 international tournament then we would do a 2026 olympics and then a 2028 world cup of hockey and then a 2030 olympics so basically laying out a good stretch of hockey that we could see they're working on this determining what the format of this tournament would be itself but conversations are going and that is a great starting point yeah, I mean, how many times have we had this conversation, though? I mean, yeah, best many. best on best international hockey, it, it feels like getting a, a great Canadian basketball player to actually go to a tournament that's not oh, the Olympics. Like, honestly, like, no, but like, when are we, it's, it, that's what it feels like. Like, yeah, we've been talking about it, and you make a promise, and you talk about it, and you make a promise, and every other year sounds fantastic, but will we ever see it? I'm not really sure, unless you're Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and you always go, because he's our guy. But, yeah, I just, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, the global climate, there's a lot of things going on. Clearly, there are right. things that have been in the way, pandemic, global affairs, everything. I get it. We got to get back to international. Connor, it's 12 years. Mm-hmm. It's going to be 12 mm-hmm. years. Connor McDavid has not an opportunity. Sidney Crosby's running it out of opportunities. We need some best on best. It better come in 2026 or I will riot. Okay. But if we can get it every other year. Where are you going to riot? I don't know. Outside this building. Oh, not this building. Just like a, my own personal little li- okay. little riot, I'd like love not to see you non-violent, get angry. non-violent riot. Oh, okay, just anger. You could be like the guy that stands out with the cardboard sign. Yeah, it'll be something like that. Yeah, just like you know, a Brandon Belt type riot. Yeah, just professional, riot. effective but professional. Uh, well, the, yeah, he did say Bill Daly did say a uh, deadline has not yet been set for a decision um, about February 2025 or future participation in the Olympics, but. Olympics, but the goal is to strive to do it as quickly as we can. If they ever get a World Cup of Hockey going, like they'll actually people will be into it because it's been so long. Like, it's if, like give us this you, thing. I don't care. You have. I need it. You have the. You have the opportunity to make an NHL branded thing work just because we're so desperate for it. Yeah. So just it's like a drug. Do it. We need it. Do we just it. need to see these guys represent? 
our country because Canada looked pretty good. Uh, Pinball Clemens will join us after the break. As we mentioned, the Argos got a big opportunity on Friday night to exact some revenge against the team, the only team that's beaten them this season. The Stampeders are in town. Uh, it will be a Friday night game. And if you're going down, you can get free admission to the CNE with an Argos ticket. So a little doubleheader there. Uh, lots to go through with Pinball. He's just a fun, fun guy. Lots of great vibes to wrap up our Wednesday afternoon on Fan Drive Time with Justin and Ailish, Sportsnet 590 Fan. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the fan drive time this afternoon. Just love, love, love. No shortage of it. We love love. And we were joking. Quick to fall in love. You can can hear us smiling because we're saying goodbye to Adnan Verk. I'm saying goodbye to Adnan Verk in the last segment. And I'm like, love you. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to say love that... For love having you on because we you don't did get go love. I mean, love's we, a strong word okay, well, regardless of say, how you're like, using you it. You say love, you know, love having you on, but which is true because we never get him in the mornings. So I went to say love having you on, but somehow love you came out and I just kept rolling with it. And then he said, love you guys back. Mm-hmm. And so we're just cackling off air because I, I got all nervous. I, d- I didn't mean to say that, <laughs> but I just kept going with the goodbye. And now we're just like, Adnan loves us. We broke the ice. We said love you in interview two or three of talking to this, this like celebrity yeah, I mean, man. We don't want to laugh about it too much because we don't want his love to be misplaced, right? No, but I, we do love it's him. It's genuine but, on his end, at least. But man. It's genuine on ours, too. So that was funny. I, I, had to, was I had to be professional for a second and just continue with the, hey, thanks so much for having me on. We'll chat soon. Yeah, it didn't say that. <laughs> I mean, he said it back, so I mean, there's no, there's no getting like, around it. Oh, I love you guys too. I'm like, oh, thank God he said that. If you listen to us in the mornings, we do show bets. And I was actually thinking before this love gate, if we want to call love it that, gate. that it would be funny if like to lose a bet that you had to say love you to one of the, just like a guest that you we have on. Like, we have Kipper on all the time. Like maybe you say love you, Kipper, and see what he says. Yeah, Kipper would totally say would love funny. you guys back. He definitely Because we would. know Kipper, but, but this is our I mean. third chat with Adnan. Three chats. What if what if he was to say, I like you guys a lot as friends? (laughs) (laughs) Be like, okay, we're not doing an interview with Adnan again. All right. We got our next guest. We love having our next guest too. Definitely love our next guest. Any chance we have to talk with pinball uh Clemens is something that we should (laughs) love and uh cherish. And revenge should be on the mind of the Toronto Argos on the shores of Lake Ontario this weekend with the Calgary Stampeders, the only team that has handed a loss to the Argos this year in town. It's a big night, CNE night. Pinball Clemens, good afternoon. How are we doing today? Good afternoon. How are we doing, team? Uh, we're doing pretty good. We're feeling the love this uh, this afternoon, uh, 100%. And this city's loving the Argos right now. The Argos are in a great spot, of course, uh, as I mentioned, a chance for revenge. But this has been a really, really positive start to the season for the Toronto Argos, 7-1. W- what's what's driving this right? What's driving the bus or the boat right now boat for, sure. for the boat. Argos? 
you know, uh, Ryan Didwitty is, has done such a tremendous job. And so we have to give a lot of the credit to him, uh, what he has done. Uh, but, you know, when, when I, I want to make sure, right, I mean, we're the Canadian Football League, so we, we need to give our Canadians some love. What I really feel is the source of our success here now is um, that, you know, the terrible pandemic, all of that stuff. What came out of that was two drafts. Uh, we had, we got a chance to draft two consecutive years. And, and uh, with that, we were in a pretty amenable uh, position because of our record. Um, and uh, uh, out of that, I, th- I think we have the strongest Canadian talent in the league. And that's really the point of difference for us. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a little bit more specific than I was thinking, but I wanted to get to the success uh, right, uh, with the, the CFL this year as well. I mean, I'm reading today, average game day revenue in the three biggest markets, Toronto, BC, and Montreal, up 26% compared to last season. I've heard nothing about great things. Haven't been able to get down to a game yet. Maybe Friday night I will double dip at the CNE. Um, but like the the atmosphere down at BMO has been so good. TV ratings up, in, interaction on social media is up. It just seems like, you know, it was there was real concern a couple of years ago with the pandemic. Real, real concern about this league, and now it seems to be in a great spot. Uh, you know, and and that is true. And, and I think the strength of this, as they came through, is is that uh, the ownership group. Uh, when you looked right across the league, we we had healthy teams. Now uh, we we've had a, a little bit of a challenge here in in, in uh, a couple of places, but they are all recovering really well. And uh, so we're we're excited about what tomorrow, not just today, but what tomorrow has to hold. So. You win the world, uh, the Grey Cup, excuse me, uh, last year, uh, and it's a bit of a surprise, right? Everyone's thinking about Winnipeg. Everyone's l- uh, admiring how good Winnipeg was and how nothing really slowed them down. And it's a bit, it is a bit of a surprise victory, not something that was complete out of the question, but maybe not something a lot of Toronto fans, sports fans, were bracing for. How did the Grey Cup win change things for the Argo? How did it set the table for this year for the Toronto Argonauts? Uh, well, you know, uh, whenever you win, uh, it can do two things. One, it can make you comfortable, and uh, and and you, you you think you're already better than than you actually are, and and it can go one way. Uh, or this team has has really had a great start. Uh, again, we say it's not how you start; it's how you finish, right? So it's one game at a time. So we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But at a seven and one start, um, and you know, being the top of the league is is uh, pretty special but it is a representation of building now in what is our third season and, and so um, uh, it didn't happen overnight uh, although it, it almost feels so refreshing like wow the team is doing so good right now and uh, uh, but it, it has been some grinding along the way um, uh, and uh, you know again our, our leader uh, Ryan Bigwitty our coaches has been just fabulous. This is a special season as well for the Toronto Argos, 150th anniversary. It's uh, pretty incredible to think that this team has been around for that long. And I believe it's the longest uh, that a team has ever had its original name as well. The oldest professional sports team to stick with their original name. I mean, there's just a lot to celebrate around the team. And I wonder what it's been like, this added excitement that this is a monster celebratory year. 150 years doesn't come often, doesn't come to many franchises. So how extra special has it been to be a part of this and the fan base that's also been celebrating? 
Eilish, that's part of this, um, the, the history uh, that um, uh, that this team is and the franchise is. And, and uh, originally a rowing club, that's why we got the Argonauts names mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, uh, a an Argonaut is a warrior that's on a ship and uh, from Greek mythology. And, uh, and so we were actually originally a rowing club that played rugby during the off-season to stay in shape. And so 150 years ago, we were actually a rugby team that actually transitioned into a football team and so uh, it really is a storied history and and uh, lots of fun uncovering and and uh, I, I I wish I hope we can get the message out um, uh, you know of of the history of this team and and uh, where it's been and 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 hopefully uh, we can see that we're also continuing to go in that very positive direction and so here's to another 150 years. <laughs> So we just learned something. I wonder if you learned something. I mean, you're Mr. Argo, right? So if you're going through that, you're celebrating the history. Uh, did you learn anything about this franchise, you know, while you were, uh, you know, preparing for this moment, going through this moment, detailing the 150 years? Is there something that you learned about the Toronto Argonauts franchise through this process? Well, there's something that I thought I knew, and I found out that I didn't quite know it. Uh, so, and that is, you know, the the double blue is, you know, you know, historically, you know, uh, we kind of remember the double blue. And in the uh, '90s, we went to a slade green. Right. And uh, so this this the double blue colors um, represent Cambridge and Oxford originally, of course, rowing teams. Right. And mm-hmm. so it represented the the, uh, the the two rowing clubs. And I thought that the Slade Green was something different that we did in the 90s. And actually, I found out that um, the Slade Green is actually one of the original colors. And I was like, oh, so, so you know, there, there are always little bits that you find out. And, and uh, that was one for me that I, I thought that the Slade Green was a change up. It was actually going back uh, to the original, as I understand it. And I may have that wrong again. I'm, I'm willing to figure this out. But, uh, <laughs> but I think that that was uh, the Slade Green was actually the original color, not not the, the double blue and the with the powder blue. Well, they look good in whatever they're wearing out there, and it's working. Uh, we're talking to Pinball Clemens, of course. And the Argos right now are counting down the top 150 moments in franchise history. And I wonder for you, what's your greatest Argo moment? Uh, you know, um, I, I believe that the greatest Argo moment, um, my greatest Argo moment was when I coached the team uh, because um, it's just the difference when um, – when you're a player and you win the championship, it's a euphoric out-of-body experience. You're pouring perfectly good beverage all over one another, just totally not <laughs> right? Uh, but when I won as a coach, I won 40 times because I won for every guy on that team. There's a different story for every guy. You know there's a guy who wanted to leave or who wanted to stay, but he was going to leave because he was afraid that um, he wouldn't get a chance to win a great cup if he stayed. And, and we convinced him to stay and you won the great cup. And so you have all of those personal stories, but I, my greatest moment in Argonaut history is the 1983 great cup championship, right? You can't compare 
31-year drought. Uh, we've won more Great Cups than anybody, but it's, as a part of that process, there was a 31-year drought, 31 years without winning the Cup from 52 to 83. And uh, so uh, for that reason, that, that for me, that has to be the – I wasn't here. I was graduating high school, right? But uh, um, 83 has to be the biggest year. 150 years is obviously a long time, but you're going to be a part of a lot of those, maybe not the majority, but a good amount of those 150 moments because you've done it all, of course, uh, for this franchise. And and a guy who authored one of the great moments as well was Chad Kelly, who came in and and helped you win that great cup. Uh, And now, of course, he's solidified as the starter, one of the faces of the league right now. What's made him, I don't know if you want to call him a quick study, but he's, he's learned this game and he's dominating this game in some ways. Pretty quickly, uh, Pinball, what's made him such an immediate smash? You know, one of the things I find with him is he always finds the open guy, right? He always seems to find the open receiver. He's done a great job, and yes, he's pulled the ball sometimes, uh, down sometimes, and he runs, and he can do all of these things. But for me, uh, the real story for him has nothing to do with what we see. Right. It has everything to do with what we don't see. Um, He uh, we have a a young receiver uh, on our team who um, is just uh, a a great young player and continues to uh, uh, mature into himself. Dejan Brissett is his name. And he and Chad uh, worked out almost every day during the off season, right? Um, the, the things that he does behind the scenes, uh, the way he brings the guys together uh, and, you know, watches film. He, he's, he's so disciplined and so direct uh, um, in, in his um, practice and his decision-making process as it relates to making sure that he spends the extra time. So the real magic that you see uh, happening on the field is the result of arduous work, uh, not only during the season, but during the off season. And it's really magical around uh, galvanizing the guys to want to come in and to do the extra work. And so uh, that part has been really, really great to see uh, how he is matured as a leader. And uh, he is, he is uh, um, you know, Andrew Harris, you know, great influence and all. Uh, uh, and certainly there, there are other guys but but he is our leader undisputed i could ask you about uh, a specific player a new face to your roster this year and actually a former classmate of mine when we both went to dartmouth college together um he's Flo, you know falara normalade and he's a new face he's awesome um i feel really uh, privileged to to know him and get to go to school with him for four years Uh, we shared the gym a couple times and man he can push the weights around but he's been a really great addition to this team and it was something new uh to the argos and how's he fitting in and how's he doing there well, you know how he fits in uh, <laughs> uh, because he is one of the most affable guys. Mm-hmm. He just uh, uh, has a tremendous spirit. Every day, he's one of the last guys off the off the field. He's going and he's practicing. He's doing his little moves. So when it comes to to, to post practice, uh, he's the guy that's out there every day. Doesn't miss a day. Um, and you know, um, you 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 are awesome. Because you're so quick, you're so smart, um, 
And and he's the same way. Oh. Uh, that that's how you <laughs> folks from Dartmouth are, right? We so, try. <laughs> so so, so uh, um, we love listening to you because you know you you are so quick and you know you have you know the great responses and and uh, and that is him in a more low key way <laughs> uh, because uh, all, all, you know as a player, right? He 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 is. He's a guy who um, he always says the right things. He mm-hmm. he always knows the you know the little things to do, and uh, and he's you know one of the hardest workers ever, right? And uh, so you know the, the the success of these guys is no mistake. It, it is you know we if you're looking for it, you can see it in broad daylight. Yeah, he's a, a team first guy. Something about Dartmouth College. A lot, a lot about that go big green energy that he brings. Uh, no, I'm excited to get the chance to watch him, and people can head down to. Uh, BMO Friday night, uh, you get a chance to see uh, the Argos, but also you can go to the CNE with that ticket. So I wonder if you're a big uh, CNE guy or a roller coaster guy, or are you more, uh, I'll stand around and try some of the fun food. So I actually uh, lived right on Springhurst Avenue, which is the first street north um, uh, of of the CNE okay. on Dufferin there, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so um, about five five homes in is where I first stayed when I first came to Canada. I lived with a lady that was the Argo mom. Her name uh-huh. was Muriel Crow, Ma Crow. We used to call her. And <laughs> uh, uh, and so for me, um, I. I I grew up with the X, right? It was a t- very tangible part because I'd sit outside and watch the people walk by as they come from the X. We practice over there every day. And, and uh, so uh, every year, uh, me and the kids, we all have to get out. So we, we practice here every day, but but I still bring the girls down. And <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I say girls, they're women now. Uh, but uh, we, we, st- we still have to come down and have that, that X experience as a family every year. And I think it's something that everybody should do if they have the chance. So the X signifies a couple of things in Toronto, right? It's like near in the end of summer. It's kind of the last hurrah, but it also means important uh, football is on the horizon. What are the second half objectives for the Toronto Argonauts? I mean, the Montreal Alouettes have suddenly caught a little fire. Of course, objective one would be responding uh, to Calgary and getting that win back or getting that game back from them. But when you think about the second half, what's got to improve internally, what the objectives are in terms of, yes, the standings, solidifying the number one seed. I guess it sounds pretty simple, but what do you want to see from your football team down the stretch here? Well, before I do that, can I just honor a few guys? Uh, Chad Kelly, absolutely. We, yeah, you know, we high five up and down, but, but there's some guys who, who um, don't, you know, maybe get as, as, uh, as, as much uh, radio time or, or, or what have you. And, and uh, uh, Ryan Hunter has, has been, he's an offensive lineman, uh, just been a tremendous addition. Uh, he came to us in the second half of the season. Season, uh, last year down the stretch. Uh, he was a draft choice from earlier. He had spent some time in the NFL and he has uh, just been tremendous for us and, and um, is, is one of the people uh, that they're looking at as potentially the most outstanding lineman uh, uh, in the league this year. Uh, a, a rookie by the name uh, of uh, Quantez Stiggers, uh, uh, number 42, uh, 21 years old, uh, uh, didn't get a chance to go to college. He actually played in, in some of the leagues uh, uh, that, that they have down south now. And he, he, he is um, 
you know, potentially a guy that might be up for the most outstanding rookie this year, uh, but is our most outstanding rookie hands down. And and then uh, Javon Leak, um, uh, returner uh, who came in last year as a running back, had not caught punts or anything before and and uh i tried to con him, con him into doing it and and uh at one point he got a little frustrated and and he stayed with it and he made one of the big plays in the gray cup and now has had two punt return touchdowns already this year and uh and he he's my vote for the most outstanding uh special teams uh player and so so i'm i'm, I'm casting my own ba- ballots here <laughs> uh, <laughs> on a few guys that have really made a, a difference early and, and maybe they don't uh, um, maybe they don't get uh, the, the radio time that that some of the other players um, do but uh, the, these are guys that have been fundamentally apart and now as we look at where we go it really is now building on this foundation uh, one game at a time uh, you know the the best players in the world uh, doesn't matter who you were you know talk about my my vintage uh, you know, is is uh, um, definitely uh, the great one, Gretzky and Jordan. Those are my two guys. But even those two guys, as great as they were, never they were never able to win two games at once. And uh, and so that's that's the process here. Uh, uh, we talk about our head coach talks about two percent every day. Get two percent better every day, and and that is what the goal is. is to continue to approve because what what can happen in this sort of situation is you're seven and one and you think that you're good enough. There is no such thing as good enough. We have to continue to grow, continue to get better. And if we don't, uh, we won't make it to where we want to be. Uh, the 2% adds up if it uh, happens over time, right? And that's where the Argos go. And, and you mentioned all those standouts. They'll all be on display uh, Friday night at BMO Field uh, with the CNA, CNE excuse me, uh, in the background. Uh, we're looking forward to it, Pinball. We really, really appreciate you coming on uh, this afternoon. It was a lot of fun catching up with you. Well, real pleasure, and and uh, um, just continue to do what you do because you entertain us. Uh, you, you know, you take us home on the evening drives, uh, all of those things, and you're really fun to listen to. Uh, you're a big part of our day. Thanks so much, Pinball. We really appreciate that. Best of luck with the rest of the season. We'll chat soon. All right. Thank you. Take care now. Bye for now. That's Michael Pinball Clemens. <laughs> a, a lot to love there. I, yeah. I could have said I love him. I love him. <laughs> you could have. I was right Maybe on the edge have. there. When he's talking about Dartmouth <laughs> and just how how much, just, oh, God. Yeah, mute the mic. You know? Yeah, one, one of the nicest guys guy. that has ever, like, stepped ever. foot in this city, I, I would I would say. Yeah. Uh, I, that's not, uh, I don't think that's much of a exaggeration. Yeah, it's going to be a really great weekend down um, at CNE and at the X and the same thing there. But uh, BMO Field, like, I'm going to a concert Friday night. It's going to be crazy down there. It's, I got a concert at Bud Stage while the CNE is going on and the Argos are playing all on a Friday night. So Yeah, the foot traffic's going to be uh, pretty substantial get down a couple there. Uh, exciting... Are you gonna go? Are you gonna go to the X? I know we have. We're gonna get like a special sneak Mm -hmm. peek uh, before. I would like to go to the X, but I don't know if I would pick a Friday night with all those things going on. Like I'm, I'm more of a. Am I more of a Tuesday, early evening, round? You know, just do a little whip around there. Okay, I gotta get down to an Argo game.
Yeah, we should you know pick I'm one not and go big together. Guy. We should, yeah, we should go. We should pick one and go together, outing. Justin. I'd love that. I'll take a look at the calendar and we'll make it work. <laughs> It'll be fun. Okay. You look um, at your calendar. Mine's empty, so it won't be an issue. <laughs> Mine's always busy. Um, big ticket tonight, Blue Jays and game two against the Orioles. Opportunity to win the series. Kevin Gosman on the mound versus Dean Kramer. That's a little bit of a late change. Orioles changing things up. We don't know why. We asked Ben Nicholson-Smith. He doesn't know why yet. So take a look at his Twitter feed. Maybe he's got updates on that change. But an interesting one nonetheless. And I just think that the Blue Jays maybe benefit a bit from that. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, both these teams threw out, I, I guess you can't really say their best because I don't think it's the ace for either team by any means or any stretch of the imagination, but both teams reached deep into their bullpens. Mm-hmm. One team got the result, the Blue Jays, the other team didn't. And now the Blue Jays get to respond by putting their ace on the mound while there's a late switch up for the Orioles going to Kramer from uh, Jack Flaherty. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't think it's an ideal situation for the Orioles. Of course, uh, Kevin Gosman's got to be on or it won't matter all that much. But, yeah, this is another massive, massive game, the latest uh, on a long line of them. And I do think the Blue Jays have a little competitive advantage built into this one, which is uh, something to be excited about. I do also believe in a little bit of, a, I don't know, an extra added oomph coming into the ballpark today. You beat this, the Orioles in extra innings in game one, you had a pretty damn good appearance from your bullpen, from your starter, and some offensive contributions across the lineup. Like, I think they're coming in with an opportunity in their hands, and they should feel like they're in the driver's seat. They're oh, minus 140 favorites. There you go. On the money line, which is surprising. Road but. favorites. Uh, and in terms of, like, you know, I'd love to tell this story to romanticize the return of Bo Bichette, but, you know, three straight victories with Bo Bichette back, what difference he makes to the lineup, mm-hmm. what difference he can make in the field as he did. It was only a one-for-five outing for him last night at the plate, but... We know Bo Bichette changes this team, and if we can really mark the return and how things change and how things are different, that's when the Blue Jays can go on a run. All right, we got uh, Blair and Barker after us, and then 7-0-7 first pitch tonight. Blue Jays and Orioles will chat with you tomorrow on Baby Friday.